Okay, so we had, um, it was a very powerful time there in Argentina. Uh, we returned Friday morning after spending a week in Argentina. And many, many of you supported us through prayer and financially and through words of encouragement. And so we're just really thankful for that. And we know that your prayers are fervent ones. And we felt those very much. So thank you so much for that. Four of us came from Cape Cod. So there's four folks from Cape Cod, uh, two pastors, and uh, Pastor Silas's wife, Diane, and Pastor Seth's daughter, Ella. And then myself, my daughter Dove, Pastor Steve, Pastor Freddie, Josh, his daughter Michaela, Laura, Lena, and her daughter Mia. So 13 of us total. And the purpose of the trip was to support the work of, the, of a new church called Calvary Chapel La Vid. And it's in San Martin in Mendoza in Argentina. There it is on the map. And it's toward a little... Uh, in the southern part of South America. So it was hot, hot weather, but it was comfortable because it's very dry. And the pastor there is Pastor Beto. And Pastor Greg, who was, who was the pastor here, or is the pastor here, joined in that work to help found a church there. And <clears throat> Pastor Beto and Vanessa have three three kids that are um, older. Uh, one's in his 20s, and then there's Camila and Mayra, and here they are. And the, there's um, a real need in this area of San Martin. There's a lot of idolatry in the area, and a lot of religion, and people who are blinded to the gospel. And there's also, of, of the churches that are there, there's, there are a lot of people who have been hurt by the churches who have experienced the corruption in the churches and compromise and things like that. So um, there's a real need to see the word of God preached in the area. And so that's what moved Pastor Beto to come down there to preach the word and make that available to the people there. So we, we need the word of God. We all need the Word of God. Um, so some challenges in the church are the church is small. Some, some of the families recently, just in the last few months, left as we were preparing to go down there. So that created, um, you can imagine, some insecurity in, in Pastor Beto and Pastor Greg's heart. They're like, wow, there's this whole group of people coming from Boston, and our church got smaller. Um, they, there's just various reasons. Some folks got new jobs or one family, that their car broke down. And so for various reasons, the church got smaller. But um, on the contrary, it was actually, this was the time to go down. This is the time to go down when things feel small and weak. Um, and so uh, we're just incredibly blessed to go down there. And there's that challenge. Pastor Beto has... He's just hard-pressed on, on, on every side. And so they just needed encouragement. And so what did we do down there? Well, again, the, the main focus and our main purpose was to support the church and connect with the people there and build up that friendship with the church there. And so we did things like here we are um, 
there's a group of men we took Monday to pray and seek the Lord and pray for Pastor Greg, who was there in the middle, and pray for Pastor Beto, who we saw in the previous slide. And they just shared their needs, and we just cried out to the Lord together. And then we spent time, a lot of time fellowshipping with folks in the church. We spent time in prayer. We went to the mountains for fun. Um, it's fun, but it's also just a great time of edification, just to build each other up. We <clears throat> got ice cream. We ate together. Um, Pastor Silas taught a church service. Freddie taught a church service. We did the children's ministry uh, two different times just to because they don't have a lot of servants to do it, so we could just come in and do that for them. And then there was a women's Bible study. If you could uh, flip to the slide with the ladies gathering in a circle there. So there they are. So um, Diane led that one um, just to build up the ladies. And let's go to uh, slide seven. And we performed a skit. So the skit is really the gospel without words, all about Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we did that in, I, I think it was four times. We did it in several different plazas. And this is one plaza. We did it during the day. And then if you go to the next slide, we did it at night. Um, beautiful, yeah, beautiful location, perfect stage. And next slide. And we did it at Pastor Greg and Jillian's house. And so this was so cool. We... He's, can, he's friends with his neighbors there, and he just invited some of his neighbors to come over, and we just did the skit for his neighbors. Like, how cool is that? And so they could hear the gospel. They could get a, few, a real um, taste of what Greg is all about, what his life is all about, and just get to know him better and build up that relationship. So they came out. They came, uh, I think it was two different families and some, some other kids. And then after, after this, the skit, we played soccer with them, and um, that was a great time. So in terms of the skits, a few people raise their hand to get saved, so hallelujah. Praise for the Lord for that. Yeah, amen. That, that was phenomenal. And, um, but again, a lot of the work is just about just building up the, the church body there. And my favorite part was that Pastor Beto, at the end, he said that his life was like, uh, like this bottle. So this is a vessel, as the Bible says, a vessel or a container. And he, said, he described it like, like this, and he crumpled it up. So I'm going to crumple it up. He said he felt like this before he came. And then after, before we came, his life felt like this. And then after we came, and he blows it up, now he feels like this. So that was encouraging. I mean, we're, we're building one another up. We're not there to, like, help necessarily. Um, it's not like we're heroes. But it's just like the Lord is going to use each one of us, and I'm just really thankful that he would use us this way. And then, then he came over with a big giant bottle, and then he, 
He's like, now I'm like this, and just to make a joke. But so with that, we're going to perform a skit. So if we can all come up here, and as we do this, take it to heart. Just really take it in. Absorb it. What is, what is it that Jesus did on the cross? What is the meaning of it? So thank you.
Wow, that was fantastic. Thank you guys so much for uh, performing that for us. That is fantastic. Uh, can you guys move the crossover? Huh? Okay, yes. So uh, I want to I wanna take a minute to ask a few questions of the group. It sounds like a really exciting thing. Um, we're actually going to talk about this skit and what it means. And so uh, we're going to need our Bibles. If anyone needs a Bible, I want you to raise your hand. The ushers are going to bring Bibles up. We're gonna, it's going to be part of the message. But we're going to first read a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. And I don't know, maybe somebody here would be willing to read that for us. Does anyone feel brave enough? Dove, would you? You feel okay to do it? Let me get a microphone for you. Can I put it here? Would that help? Yeah. Let's see if this will stand up. Do you want to hold that? Can you read there from verse 14 down to 21? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 14 down to 21. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh now, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ imputing their trespasses to them and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him for he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow, fantastic job. That was really, really good. Now, I thought maybe we might ask a few questions because maybe we could understand something about what we just saw in that skit. It seemed like um, we had this person, this person here, right, who was being tempted by a lot of things that all of us are. Tempted by, you know, the idea of being rich, tempted by the idea of being famous, and then oddly enough, towards the end of it, tempted by the idea of being religious. And lo and behold, in the end, to our surprise, there was a demon behind all three. 
Yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today in the message. But in the end, each of those things that she thought might bring her freedom and happiness led to a rope being placed on her hand. Where are the ropes? Can we have a rope? What do those ropes represent, Mia? Sin? Or yeah, sin. And, and ultimately, sin... Bible says at the beginning, sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end, it is, becomes bondage. It's binding to you, right? And so it ties you to it. Now, this passage that Dove read, can we put up, I have a verse on the screen, let's see here, chapter, or verse 21. We're going we're gonna to take this passage and we're going to work backwards, backwards. So verse 21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Who was the one that God made who knew no sin to become sin? Jesus, exactly, right? And so how is this displayed in the skit? What, what does Jesus do with the ropes? Jesus is whipped by the, what, was it judge? Yeah, by, by the, the executioner, right? He takes the ropes off of Lena, and he takes, you know, symbolically these ropes represent that sin. He takes them upon himself. Jesus, who had never sinned, becomes sin for us. So the one who lived perfectly by the law, the one who followed every commandment perfectly, his righteousness gets passed to Lena, and Jesus takes the sin and bears the punishment for those, uh, those sins. Now then, verse 20 says, you know, we told you we're going to go backwards, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Michaela, can you help us? What, what's an ambassador? Any idea? Dove, any idea? Um, is it someone who carries a message? Ooh, someone who carries a message, exactly. We have ambassadors today, right? The ambassador of the United States to Germany or to Argentina or whatever, they represent the, the, the people of America to another nation. And yet... There are ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you guys know that that's what you guys were doing when you went to Argentina? Yeah, you went down as Christ's ambassadors to the people of Argentina. And then it talks about that God is pleading through us, be reconciled to God. All right, Michaela, do you, what's reconciled mean? Do you know? Reconciled, anybody reconciled? All these big words. Make right. Okay, now, I'm going to ask you guys, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm going to tell about me when I was a kid. So I don't know if this ever happened to you. Probably not. But when I was a kid, I would get in trouble a lot. And my mother would get very upset at me. And if it was really bad and I was ignoring my mother, my mother would say a very familiar statement, wait till your father gets home. And that was like torture for me because there I would be waiting for my father to come home. And there was a part of me that didn't want him to come home because there was probably going to be a consequence if my mom was that mad. But at the same time, the waiting was terrifying. And I just kind of wished he would get home so it could be over with. Because until he got home, I wasn't reconciled. And I just didn't have any peace. I felt terrible. And when he would come home, as terrifying as it was, and even though I usually got a consequence for that, which was well-deserved, after it was over, 
I was reconciled again. My parents, you know, I had their embrace. I learned not to do something, but at the same time, I wasn't an outcast anymore. So I was reconciled. Any of you guys ever had that kind of experience? One of you. The rest of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you're such good kids, I'm sure. So anyway, that's fantastic. You guys did great. So you guys were ambassadors, carrying the message of Jesus Christ, how he takes our sins, and how we can be reconciled with him. Now, one other verse before I let you guys go. It says, uh, let's see here. Where's the next verse? Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. What does that mean, Mia? I think my mom really wants to answer. Your mom? I was wondering if you would ask your mom. Well, as you noticed, I was not longer desiring the fame, the money, and all the things that attracted me to the flesh. I became a new creation, a new beloved. Um, and now I'm worshiping and adoring my savior so that's i am now a new creation amen all right thank you guys so much for doing this for us all right you can go sit down excellent and maybe someone could help me with a pulpit Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys did so great. That was fantastic. So um, we're going to continue on in this message in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. Um, as we consider this, I want to then go back one step further to chapter 5 and go back to verse 14 and 15. And th that'll be up on the projection as well. It says... For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Now, I really love this verse because this verse describes the principle that Paul taught of what a new covenant, reconciled relationship with God is. Notice those words I said, a new covenant, reconciled relationship with God. It is a relationship that is compelling someone to die to self and to live for Christ. And what are they compelled by? Are they compelled by the law? The rules that you have to follow? Yes? No, no, no. no. What, are they compelled by tradition? The traditions that were inherited to us from generations of what our family did before us? Nope, not compelled by a tradition. Were they compelled by a fear of hell or judgment? No. Were they compelled by, if I do this, maybe God will bless me? 
Maybe he'll get me that job I want. Maybe he'll make me rich. Maybe he'll fix my marriage. Maybe he will rescue me from addiction. If I could just get this right, compelled by the hope of God doing something? No. Compelled by love. That is the mark of the new covenant relationship with God that Paul taught. Now, verse 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, now we know him thus no longer. Now, what on earth does that verse mean? Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we don't know him this way any longer? Well, today we're going to talk about three different men in the Bible. All these men were Jewish men. All these men were mighty in the scriptures. They were anointed by God, by the Holy Spirit, to do a ministry. They loved God. They were zealous for God. But they knew God differently. Some of them knew Jesus still according to the flesh. But one did not know Jesus that way any longer. He knew him differently. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So as I said earlier, you're going to need your Bibles. So again, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Turn over just a couple of pages to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, and we'll be starting in verse 24. you a few minutes to find it. It's after the Gospels, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you were in 2 Corinthians, you just back up 1 Corinthians, Romans, and then you're in Acts. Okay, starting in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Achilla and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived... He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now we're going to just keep going right into chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, We have not so much as even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And so they said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him on whom... uh, 
who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. So, let's, let's just pray over this word as we kind of dive into it. Father, we come to you just desiring to know you. We desire to know you in all the fullness of the ways you have given to know you. And Lord, I just pray by your word, you've given us your word, given us your spirit. Lead us into a deeper knowledge of you. Lord, if, if there's anyone in here who knows you in part, but needs to know the way of God more accurately, as Apollos did. Lord, that you would touch them today. Pour out your spirit on us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in this story, we have these three men. The, the first man that we're going to talk about today is Apollos. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Right In our modern world, he would have been a kid who grew up going to Sunday school. He was fervent in spirit. What's that mean? He was hot, boiling. He loved God. He was passionate about it, right? He, he wasn't like just falling asleep somewhere. He was serious about his faith. He was zealous about it. And he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. He wasn't deceived. He knew what the scripture said. He cared about truth. He was passionate about it. In fact, he was so knowledgeable in the scriptures and so passionate that he would put himself up publicly to debate the Jewish religious leaders of the time, proving them the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Any of you guys ever watch these public debates between a Christian apologetics type person and an atheist or something? Those are awesome to watch, but can you imagine being in their shoes? Right? You know the truth is on your side, but what if you haven't studied good enough? What if, what if you just end up not being able to think of the answer at the time? What an incredible thing, like, to feel so dedicated, so committed to the knowledge that just publicly, off the cuff, you don't know what's going to be asked of you, you just stand there and defend it publicly for all to see. You either crash and burn or you succeed wonderfully. Paulus was that kind of guy. He would do it. But he knew only the baptism of John. That's going to be our third man we're going to talk about, John. John who? John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. Incredible prophet of God. The last Old Covenant prophet, right? Talked about New Covenant earlier. He's the last Old Covenant prophet. John was a really odd figure, right? He was this guy who was off in the Judean wilderness, out in the desert, wearing camel skin, like clothes, with this weird leather belt. And what did he eat? Steak? Locusts, like grasshoppers and wild honey. What a weird guy. Can you imagine going and seeing him like a little 
cricket legs sticking off of his beard, like some honey matting down his beard. Like, who is this weird guy? And who would pay any attention to him? He's so weird, right? But he's out there. And somehow, amazingly, I find this amazing from this story, we start to learn just the vastness of John the Baptist's ministry. Do we have the map? Yeah, there's a map. Let's see here. I don't have a pointer. Maybe if you look all the way down at the bottom, you can see this area, Alexandria, Egypt. Do you guys think you could find that on the map where Alexandria, Egypt is? Can you see it there? All right, way down on the bottom. That's like 600 miles or so uh, away from Jerusalem. And then Paul runs into these believers way at the top of the map where Ephesus is. Do you guys think you could point where Ephesus is? Here, Solomon's going to help me out. Sorry about that. Let's see if I can do it. Ephesus is way up here. So Jerusalem is over here. John the Baptist would be in the Judean wilderness. Ephesus is way off up here somewhere, uh, over 1,000 miles away. Alexandria, Egypt is down here about 600 miles away. And yet somehow Apollos from Alexandria and these believers that Paul's talking to in Ephesus knew about John. Now remember, there's no internet, there's no TikTok, there's no you know, Facebook, there's no YouTube, right? Like how? How could they know about this weird camel hair wearing guy in the desert? His ministry was that profound. His ministry was so anointed by the Spirit that guys like Apollos and these people all the way in Ephesus knew about John. And from what we learn about Apollos, he seemed to be a fan, right? John the Baptist had this same fervency of spirit. I mean, Apollos is practically cut out of the same mold. It's like he studied John. Either he'd seen him himself or he just heard stories about him, but he was passionate. He was fervent in spirit. He was knowledgeable in the scriptures. And just like John, it didn't bother him to publicly debate the Jews in front of everyone. So, Jesus had something to say about John as well. Let's put that up. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. If we can find that verse. There you go. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. Can you imagine an endorsement or a compliment greater than that? John the Baptist was the best of the best among those born of flesh. Right? If it was today, somebody would have a t-shirt saying that. Definitely put it on the Facebook. I am the best of the best born of flesh. That, that was the endorsement of Jesus on John the Baptist. And yet Jesus goes on to say, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? What on earth is he talking about there? Yes, in the new covenant relationship with God, even the worst of the worst born of flesh is in a greater position than what John was teaching. Now that's interesting, isn't it? John the Baptist knew of Jesus according to the flesh. In fact, that was his ministry. 
he was pointing people to Jesus according to the flesh. And that was his role. John the Baptist, of course, dies before Jesus goes to the cross. But Apollos carries on that ministry. Even after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, Apollos was still carrying on that ministry, pointing, showing in the scriptures how Jesus was the Messiah according to the flesh. Now let's turn to the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. We have that verse up there. We're going to notice a few different ways in which the Apostle Paul ministers. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, and that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. John the Baptist, even Apollos, and the Apostle Paul were all anointed by the Holy Spirit in their ministries. For sure, the people who would have heard them would have encountered God through those anointings. But there was something different about Paul's ministry. What was it? Well, although you might have felt the awesomeness of God when John preached, or be compelled to believe that Jesus was the Messiah when Apollos preached, when Paul taught... It wasn't with all the eloquence of speech. He was teaching that that same anointing was for you. Right In the Old Covenant, the prophets were anointed. The kings were anointed. The priests were anointed. And the people could experience God through their anointings. Paul's like, uh-uh. Now the New Covenant, you are the anointed ones. You can know God through your own personal anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think what I'm saying to you is odd, what? Is that possible? Let's, let's look at what John the Baptist declared, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me talking about Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. No? Let's look at Paul's um, conversation with these Ephesian believers back in Acts chapter 19, verses 2 through 6. You can read it on the screen or in your Bible. I'm going to reread it for you. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? 
And they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So here we see the evidence, the new covenant ministry, where it's not just the apostles anointing that other people could experience God through. These believers, all of them from the least to the greatest, experience the anointing of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And in this story, we also see outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. Sometimes those outward manifestations can be a point of contention in the church. It can make certain people feel uncomfortable in different settings. But what's more sure and more um, Im even important to know that the Holy Spirit has anointed an individual comes down to what we read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. For the love of Christ compels us. Let's read those whole verses again. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is the new covenant relationship with God. All new covenant believers who've had this happen, their lives are marked by a love of Christ that compels them in all that they do. Can they still sin? Yes, they can. And sometimes they can even commit terrible sins. But if their life is marked by the compelling love of Christ, they cannot stay in sin. It's impossible. It's kind of like if you were to drink some noxious chemical that like just makes you sick to your stomach, this poisonous, ugh. As try as you hard to hold that in, your whole body would begin to heave and curl and bend over until you vomit it out. A person who has been marked by the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit, though they can sin, they can't continue in sin. It's an impossibility. Everything within them will heave it out. Can they become selfish? Can they live for themselves again and for their own pleasure? Sure they can. But oddly enough, all that self-seeking, all that pleasure they once enjoyed before knowing Christ, they get it, they grab onto it with their hands, mine. And then oddly enough, the testimony is always the same. Ugh, it didn't make me happy the way it used to. What happened? You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You can't be happy just in the carnal desires of the flesh anymore. You've been spoiled for that. You've tasted of the Spirit of God, the things of God. 
And you won't find that joy again until you return to that place where you stop living for yourself and you start living for Christ. And when they find that and they repent, they say, oh, why did I ever leave it? This is so much better. That's evidence of the anointing power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Now, John the Baptist, before Christ's death, and even Apollos, after the death of Christ, they were ministers of Christ, but they were still ministering according to the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant. What's the Old Covenant? Well, God used the law, the Ten Commandments, through Moses, given by Moses. It was from God. The Bible says the law is holy and just and good. But the law had a purpose. Paul tells us that purpose in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. It says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law had a purpose. The law was there to make you realize that you need a savior. You ever wonder how people like David could cry out in the Psalms for a savior as if he just knew it? The law had worked that work in his heart. He already knew, I can't do this, I need a savior. That was the whole purpose of the law. But, of course, religious leaders, and we kind of saw an example of that in the skit, contort the law and twist the law to make it seem like, okay, well, we'll just interpret this in a way that at least some of us can be holy. And so they create a religious system, a caste system, where there's the holy ones and the unholy ones. And so Paul talked about them, Romans chapter 10, verse 3 through 4. He says, For they, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, right, they watered down the law, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Remember Jesus, when he was on earth, he taught. It's one simple command. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And I say to you, whoever has lusted for a woman in his heart is already guilty. Jesus is like, you guys think you understand the law, but you don't. The law points to your heart that you're a sinner. He told the Pharisees uh, uh, himself in, in, in John, it's, it's, I'll just quote it, it's not on the slide. He says, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life. But he says, these very scriptures point to me. The whole point of this was to draw you to your need of a savior. And yet they were not willing to see him. Now, Paul had an experience with Christ in the old covenant way as well. And he describes it in Romans chapter 7. Let's put that up there. This was Paul's experience under the Old Covenant. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When you ask that question, the law has completed its purpose in your life. 
right? The law's whole purpose is to make you realize I need somebody else who can deliver me from me because I can't do it. Some of us figure that out pretty soon, and some of us are really stubborn, and we try a long time before they finally give up and say, okay, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need Jesus. And when Paul did that, his new experience in the new covenant, we read in Romans chapter 8, we'll just look at one verse, verse 2, said, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So I grew up going to church. Uh, I grew up going to a church uh, that taught the Bible. And I remember when I was a teenager, I had this dream. And I dreamed that I was standing before God to be judged. And I was in this line and, you know, each person was going before him to be judged. And then I was getting more and more nervous because I knew that I was guilty. And before I got before him, I was like, there were a couple of people in front of me. And then it just freaked me out so much I woke up. <laughs> so I decided I've got to go to my youth minister. I've got to get baptized. Now, in the church I grew up, they emphasized very much baptism. And they would often talk about baptism Come up and be joined with Christ in the watery grave of baptism. And indeed, Paul talks about that in John, or Romans chapter 6, how when you're baptized, you go under the water and you're buried with him in the death of Christ. And I so wanted to do that. I wanted to be joined with Christ. I wanted my sin to be dead. And so I did. And then after that, I did my best to act like a Christian but it didn't work. And I tried. I tried again. I tried many times. But my understanding of Christ was still buried in a grave. And so living for Christ meant that I just, it's like I had to hold my breath and be under the water with him. Christ, I needed to die. And so I just needed to stay dead. And as long as I could stay dead, then I was good. But whenever I would come alive, there was a problem. And my problem was, is it was like I was running out of air being held under the water. And I desperately needed air. And so then I would come back out, you know, and I'd breathe. And what did I breathe? I breathed sin, right? Because I needed to catch my breath. And it was like, okay, I'll get some sin out of my system. Okay, I'm going to try this again. And it was an over and over. I was very stubborn. And it took me a long time. And eventually I moved out of my parents' house where there wasn't as many expectations. And so throughout all my 20s, I lived very distant from God. Sometimes I prayed. Sometimes I read my Bible. Sometimes I even went back to church and I'd even try to repent. But it never lasted for more than a few weeks. It was so frustrating. It was like, this is hopeless. What is the point? I just can't stay dead. And then when I was 30 years old, I walked into this church after another desperate moment. And I quickly observed that people here, at least many of the people here, seemed to be having a relationship with a living Jesus, not a dead Jesus. Then Jesus began to minister to me in different ways that proved to me that he was in fact alive and that he loved me, and that I had a living hope. And everything 
began to be different from what I'd experienced of religion before then. Now, for the sake of time, I can't go into all the details, but I remember at one point in time, I was, I was actually working over at the Brigham. I was doing, I was in medical training here at the time, which is why I was in Boston, and they had a little chapel, and I went down there, and I just randomly opened a book in the Bible, and I was reading Psalm 46, and I got down to verse 10 of Psalm 46, and it said, Be still and know that I am God. And the craziest thing happened to me. It was just like this warmth from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. It was like the life of God was poured into me. It was like I, hadn't, I didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was really. I knew there was something called the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but I didn't know anything about him. And yet there I was. And it was weird, like I remember some, I can remember sometimes people get very afraid of this type of experience. I didn't feel out of control. If anything, I felt like I wanted to give him more control. And I began to realize at that moment, my experience with God will never be the same. The Spirit of God had been poured upon me. Calvary Chapel, which is where this church came from back in the 60s and 70s, was birthed out of this movement where a bunch of hippies who had run away from home and were living rebellious in the streets and smoking weed and taking acid and experiencing free love, having casual sex with whoever wanted to, had this incredible experience where they encountered the Spirit of God like this. And Calvary Chapel was essentially birthed out of that. Put back up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. The worship team can come up. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Many churches in the 50s and 60s and today in Boston are still ministering an old covenant experience with Jesus. There is a role for that. There's a place for the law of God to bring you to your need of a Savior. But once you've hit that place, it's time for your own anointing of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Chuck, back when he started Calvary Chapel, he was one of the few who saw that. He didn't tell the hippies they had to cut their hair. He didn't tell them that they had to wash their clothes before coming in. He just let them come in. He taught verse by verse of the Bible, and he let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does in the New Covenant. The Holy Spirit began to transform lives. I definitely encourage you, go watch that, go watch that movie. But what happened to the hippies back in the 60s and 70s happened to me at this church. And it can happen in your life as well. So we'll put up the last verse, John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Jesus says, On the last day of the great feast, says, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has been glorified. It says he led captivity captive, he ascended on high, and he gave gifts to men. And the Father delights in pouring out the Holy Spirit on you. So my invitation for you today, there may be some of you, we'll have the prayer partners come up, you've never actually identified with Christ even knowing that you need a Savior. Maybe you saw that today in the skit. Maybe the Holy Spirit moved in you and you just, I know in my own heart, just watching it, it like tore me to see Jesus getting whipped because that's my sin. Maybe it's time for you just to come and acknowledge him as your savior. But there may be others of you here today and your whole experience with God has felt like you're holding your breath and you keep coming up grasping for air and it's only sin and it just seems impossible. Could it be that you have not yet entered the new covenant work of your own anointing with the Holy Spirit in you? If that's you, just come up and ask for prayer. God wants to pour his spirit on you today. And I'm going to pray, and then you can come up. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, this is your church, and you know every heart of every person in here. Holy Spirit, you're already at work. Use my feeble explanations and do what's impossible for man to understand. Lord, bring revival in your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.